Hello, lover of things that go bump in the night. This is Dan Cummins. And I'm Lindsay Cummins. And we co-host the paranormal horror podcast, Scared to Death. Are shadow people real? What about demonic possessions? Poltergeist activity? Do you believe in ghosts? Malevolent entities? Are aliens real? Could you be abducted? We don't know. But what we do know is that we have over 230 episodes of stories on our podcast, Scared to Death, exploring all of the possibilities. Each week, we share several supposedly true stories that have been gathered from around the world and submissions from our own fans of allegedly true tales. Curious about the paranormal? Just like a spooky story? Do you need more fear to fuel you through your long work days? Come join us. New episodes of Scared to Death are released every Tuesday night. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you end up scared to death. Today is Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. On this day in 1983, a bomb went off in the South African city of Pretoria, killing 19 people and wounding over 100 more. As the dust settled, it was clear that the attack was politically motivated and carried out by the paramilitary wing of the African National Congress. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Alastair Murden. Hello, Today in True Crime listeners. Parcast fans might recognize Alistair's voice from several Parcast originals, including our show Kingpins, where he and his co-host Kate tell exciting stories of organized crime. Thanks, Vanessa. Kingpins has been running a daily special for the month of May, and let me tell you, I have so much admiration for what you do on Today in True Crime after working on it. Oh, thank you. I've been enjoying your daily episodes, and I'm thrilled you can join me for another today. As you know, you'll discuss some of the historical aspects of today's story while I'll cover the narrative. Sounds perfect. Shall we dive in? Yes. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Now, let's go back to May 20th, 1983, around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The streets were already packed with people as Freddy Shangwe and Ezekiel Maseko drove down Church Street. It was rush hour in Pretoria, but the two men weren't paying attention to the busy passers-by. They were focused on the Ned Bank Square building, the headquarters for the South African Air Force at the time. They parked as close as they dared, watching men in blue uniforms come in and out. It was just around 4.15 p.m. Soon, Air Force personnel would flood the streets, awaiting buses to take them home. In the meantime, no one spared a thought for the anonymous blue Alfa Romeo parked by the Air Force headquarters. It was impossible to tell at a glance that it was packed with 40 kilograms of explosives. Shangwei and Maseko planned to trigger the bomb at 4.30 to ensure the maximum number of Air Force casualties. But that's not what happened. Something, no one is sure exactly what, went wrong. And 10 minutes early, around 4.20 p.m., an explosion engulfed the crowds on Church Street. 
a woman in an adjacent office building, Lydia Vondermerva, later recalled, I heard a loud sound from the office and went out to see what was going on. Glass and blood was all over the street and people were shouting. Church Street had been thrown into chaos. Burned and dismembered bodies littered the street, uniformed and civilian alike. Shangwe and Maseko's car was a twisted wreck, and black smoke rose alongside the Ned Bank Square building. The air filled with the whine of emergency vehicles as over 20 ambulances arrived to rush casualties to nearby hospitals. All told, there were 19 people killed and 217 injured. The ratio of civilians to military personnel among the casualties has been difficult to ascertain in the years following the attack. But according to a police report, at least 84 of the injured were associated with the armed forces of South Africa. Among the dead were the two insurgents, Freddy Shangwe and Ezekiel Maseko. Blame for the attack was placed on the anti-apartheid political organization known as the African National Congress, or ANC. Their paramilitary wing, Mkanto Isizwe, or MK, was linked to several other high-profile attacks throughout the 1980s. Years later, several former agents of MK claimed responsibility for the Church Street bombing and clarified its purpose. The operation had been approved by ANC president Oliver Tanbo and headed by a man named Abu Bakr Ismail. According to Ismail, the objective was to carry out a highly visible attack which was impossible to cover up against military personnel in uniform. He justified the attack by pointing to the appalling treatment of black South Africans by the state-sponsored military, saying, they could not think they could go on doing anything they wanted because they had the guns. Church Street was deemed an important military target, even if the risk of civilian casualties was high. Up next, we'll discuss the fallout of the Church Street bombing. Now, back to the story. On May 20, 1986, the anti-apartheid group known as the ANC detonated an explosive device outside the Air Force headquarters in Pretoria, South Africa. 19 people were killed and 217 injured. The casualties were both civilian and military. My guest host, Alistair, will take us through this turbulent period of South African history and the immediate aftermath of the May 20th attack. Thanks, Vanessa. Apartheid was in place in South Africa from 1948 through the early 1990s. It was a system of institutionalized racial segregation that ensured a minority of white citizens would remain in power. Often, it was enforced through state violence against black South Africans. The country's ruling party, the National Party, faced increasing internal resistance to apartheid throughout the 1970s and the 1980s. Much of this resistance was headed by the African National Congress, or ANC. At the time, the ANC was a completely underground movement. The South African government forbade them from meeting and did not even allow newspapers to mention them by name. 
That didn't stop it from advocating for the end of apartheid, occasionally through attacks like the Church Street bombing. Abu Bakr Ismail, the head of the unit that planned the attack, later applied for amnesty along with several other former MK agents. He took responsibility for the civilians injured and killed in the attack, saying, We did not target civilians. However, the policy of the ANC at the time was that we could not, for the sake of saving a few lives, be prevented from striking at the power of state, the apartheid state. In response to criticism that the attack was senseless, Ismail defended his unit on the grounds that there would have been no violence if not for apartheid. The attack's political intent, he claimed, was to shake the citizens who benefited from apartheid out of their apathy. He said, We wanted whites to come out of their comfort zones and feel the pain and suffering of the black people. We wanted to bring them to their senses. Violence between the ANC and the government continued throughout the 1980s. Prime Minister Pieter Willem Boerter declared a state of emergency in 1985, but his support was increasingly threatened by the growing instability. Boerter resigned in 1989, and soon after, the ANC was legalized. Political prisoners, such as Nelson Mandela, were released, and talks to end apartheid began. Apartheid legislation was repealed in 1991. In 2001, the seven surviving former MK operatives, including Abu Bakr Ismail, were granted amnesty for their role in bombings throughout South Africa, including the Church Street attack. The judge's decision contains a list of all the victims of the various bombings caused by these men. It should come as no surprise that the Church Street bombing has the longest list of names. Memorials are still held at the site where 19 men and women lost their lives. A number of those who attend these rallies insist on laying blame at the feet of Nelson Mandela, who was in prison at the time of the attacks. One of these memorials, held in 2015, featured speakers insisting that white South Africans need to arm themselves and stop getting murdered. Of course, the number of black South Africans murdered over the course of apartheid is far higher than the number of whites. State-sanctioned violence and legally privileged white citizens spilt blood every day for almost half a century. Apartheid has left scars that even today, 30 years later, are far from healed. Events like the Church Street bombing remain fraught and complicated. But grappling with the past and facing those complications remains a point of hope. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a mass restorative justice effort to share the stories of apartheid, both black and white, tapped into that hope. Established in 1996, the Commission has been lauded internationally as a crucial component of South Africa's transition to free democracy. Today, Following in the footsteps of the Commission, the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation is still working to continue the difficult task of healing. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again to Alistair for joining me today. Thanks for having me. 
You can find my podcast Kingpins on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.